This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. Coming up here in this first segment, some really cool things that Alex Golish had to say that we want to pass along. But we'll start off with the big news. It is indeed going to be the last year for Denise Shilty Brown as head coach of USF Women's Soccer. This will be her 17th and final season. What with the news that she will be the head coach of the Tampa Bay professional soccer team. The brand new, and it's going to start 2024 in August, the USL Super League. That is going to be the top league of the United States as far as professional women's soccer. Of course, we'll be talking to Denise more about the whole system, the whole setup. But this first season, there are expected to be between 10 and 12 teams. So far, eight have been announced. No, we don't know the team name yet. That's still in discussion. No, we don't know where they'll be playing, but the reports are it'll be a temporary stadium situation before an actual soccer-specific stadium eventually gets billed for this Tampa Bay USL Super League team. The other cities that are going to be competing in year one, Charlotte, Dallas-Fort Worth, Lexington, Kentucky, Phoenix, Spokane, Tucson, and Washington, D.C., and the handful of franchises that will begin in 2025 include Jacksonville, so there'll be a second Florida rep, but Tampa Bay is the first. Of course, we'll talk more to Denise, but in her time at USF, three regular season conference championships in the AAC and three in the tournament, eight NCAA tournament appearances, so basically half of the team's appearances. We will be replaying their magical win from 2019 where they made it to the Sweet 16 round for the first time in program history. I was at that game in Tallahassee when they beat Washington, but we'll also throw in on Monday the win that wrapped up the regular season championship in 2018 where my buddy Delbert Alvarado was on the call with me. We'll also have when they put up a four spot in a conference championship tournament clincher at home a few years back and oh yeah how about a five spot in the 2018 NCAA tournament we had those broadcasts and then on Tuesday we'll throw some more women's soccer your way we'll also mix in some football and other recent Bulls Unlimited classics hopefully you've been enjoying our July programming of going with recent classics Friday was fun so why you got to follow us on Twitter where just it was kind of a mismatch and all good stuff of different sports Went back to the 2018 conference baseball tournament where the Bulls had to win three games in less than 24 hours. And on back-to-back games on a scorching Friday, they got back-to-back complete games. Those were fun to listen back to, but we're sticking with soccer all Monday afternoon, overnight, and through Tuesday afternoon. Again, in and around my actual conversation with Denise, which we will have for you on Tuesday's program. So much more to come on that story. If you want to read the actual story on GoUSFBulls.com, Michael Kelly even calls it a sad time. It's going to be a unique situation because a coach is announcing they're leaving at the end of a season, not for another college, not for the end of their career, but for a different stage in their career. So more to come, certainly, on Denise. We'll move on to football here. And speaking of our programming during the week, weekdays in July, we're giving you newer classics. In other words, once we started Bulls Unlimited 2017, And on the weekends, we go back to classic sports. We did the NCAA tournament wins, the first ones for the men and the women in and around the 2012 and 13 runs. But also on Sunday, decided to go three straight years with three straight victories against in-state opponents. 
And as I'm, you know, retweaking some of the edits, going back and like, well, why is that still in there? <laughs> Clipping out some stuff, I get to hear some things that I had forgotten, including Mark Robinson almost cussing on the first touchdown against Florida State. Bulls missed a 37-yard field goal earlier. Florida State was stuffed on a fourth and goal from the two. We are scoreless. In motion, Carlton Mitchell. Daniels takes it, going to roll to his right, looking end zone, throws it back left side, Ben Bikeman, he's there, touchdown USF, eight yards, Daniels to Busby, Bulls lead the Seminoles. You gotta love it, this is called the old something screen, I tell you, when you roll everybody to the right side, and you sit your tight end on the back side, and he just floats out in the flat, and no one covered him, and this is a beautifully executed play, touchdown Bulls. Oh, something. The win against UCF from 2008 and 2010 against Miami were also thrown in there. Both overtime victories, both intense crowds in Tallahassee and Orlando. Those are great to listen back to. And, of course, Alex Golish wants to kick it back to those memories and then some. We'll give you some of the actual audio. These are two separate situations. He did a video piece for a company that was profiling the indoor facility, and that was great. But an actual, and I'm talking about, as I said on Twitter, a long read, but that's because there was a lot to go over. Now, some of the stuff you've heard about how Golis actually became a football coach after not playing in college. Of course, he played in high school. Forgotten that he was an offensive lineman. But the actual decision to come to USF, and a few things stand out, what the Bulls have actually built around that performance facility and what Coach Golish, who has been at the highest level, knows as far as comparing USF to a Power Five. He says, quote, this is not a group of five job. How we feed our kids, how we train our kids from a facility standpoint, this ain't group of five. I'm not recruiting against group of five schools. We've got the highest salary pool in this league. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't what it is. I got to go beat alleged Power Five schools for kids, or we're not recruiting the right kids. We're just not. I don't mean to sound defensive or delusional either. I know who we are and where we are. He mentioned the salary pool. Manny Navarro, the author of this outstanding article, says, A key for Golish when he considered this the job was the ability to build a modern-day recruiting staff, something that wasn't in place under the previous staff. Golish was allocated $1 million more than the previous coach for his pool to hire assistants and a recruiting staff with deep ties to the state. He speaks about the stress on recruiting Florida. Quote Golish, For us, Florida and Georgia have to be where it all starts. My unique background is the fact that I've recruited high school areas, but I've recruited junior college ball forever. That's really kind of how I made my niche, junior college and transfers throughout my years. Again, this story on theathletic.com does a really good job of comparing how Golish is attacking the transfer portal compared to what Jeff Scott had going on and how few of the last three years recruits as far as high school recruits actually got to be starters or even really contribute on the team. One thing that's very interesting and not anything that I would have thought about, this is again the Arthur Navarro. He's well aware the state of Florida produces a high volume of running backs, receivers, and defensive backs, but is usually short on offensive and defensive linemen. The best ones usually end up in the SEC anyway. So any recruit who is 6 feet 4, 270 pounds, and can, quote, breathe and chew gum at the same time, end quote, has his attention. 
also gets into what they're really doing from a social media aspect. As you can tell, there's a lot being put into that. And I thought this was fascinating, and I put it on Twitter. Golish said he had dinner with Jim Levitt and met with Willie Taggart shortly after getting the job. Honoring the past is one thing Golish said, but spending a lot of energy trying to recreate what Levitt and Taggart accomplished as head coaches in Tampa is pointless. It's a different era in college football. And Golish said there's only so much he can glean from their previous experience. So he definitely is very respectful of the history of the school. I mean, meeting with Levitt, I thought that was a really cool nugget, but also wants to create something new. And yes, the story gets into down the road, especially with the AAU designation. The university has recently been bestowed that, yeah, might help the Bulls, say, get into a different conference that, for example, a UCF was able to accomplish. And this article does not consider that an elephant in the room. It goes right into that. And by the way, Michael Kelly says it is a priority to resume the war and I foreign football only thing that's holding that up right now is currently the Bulls non-conference schedule is filled up through 2029 as you know though those aren't always set in stone and games can be moved around theathletic.com it's listen I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money but it's an outstanding website it's fantastic and I don't hesitate to endorse it and if you can get in on maybe one of their specials sometimes they'll offer Dollar ninety nine a month for six months, that type of thing. It is definitely worth it. Now, separate situation, and I saw this was tweeted out by the company Sports Dissected. It's a media and news company that, well, I don't know too much about. They're based out of Houston, Texas, but they put together a really cool video. They had one of their representatives come to the indoor performance facility. If you want to see the video, I retweeted it on Saturday. And here are a couple of clips starting off with, and this is focused again on the indoor performance facility. You're going to hear from a couple of pretty key voices in it. You're also going to hear some cool music in the background. I'm taking this directly from the video, so I couldn't clip the soundtrack out, but I think you can fully make out what the head coach Alex Golish is saying here. How have you seen this, since it's been built, kind of benefit your program? A bunch of different ways. It was the beginning part of what we're building here now with the on-campus stadium and football operations center from a recruiting side it's shown a commitment that hey we're we're just beginning to build here from a functionality standpoint a little bit different than when you're in the midwest where you got to get out of the cold it allows you to get out of the heat when you need to you obviously have to work in the heat to get ready for games but there's going to be times where where you want to get that element out of it and be able to focus in on what you got to focus in on so it's been monumental there They also talked to Donovan Jennings, and boy, that's a guy that's had to wait to get and enjoy the upgrades to the facility. Kind of mentioned how there were some things that they thought they'd have when he started off here that, well, they didn't get, but now they're getting them, and it goes along with what Coach Gullish is talking about. Here, one more clip from the head coach on eventually how it might help things, and yeah, competing for the old national championship is always a good way to end it. It's a big reason why I'm here. When you take an opportunity like this, you're looking for a commitment. You're going to pick up, move your family, leave a really comfortable situation where you're having success. You want to see a commitment. Um, the commitment was real. One, this was this was about to be opened right when I was taking the job. It's the start of putting us on campus stadium. We're 26 years old. And then obviously the football operations center ties all of it together. So a commitment to me, a commitment to our student athletes, a commitment to us being able to go hire the right staff to be able to get these guys ready to take another step as a football program. 
26 years old, a lot of things you're doing for the first time and you've spent 15 of those with winning seasons. Now it's a matter of taking it into these next 25 years and creating a consistent top 20 program and eventually competing for a national title. The actual field turf construction company, Royal Key, gets a lot of love, as it should. If you want to go to YouTube, by the way, it is titled, well, it's a long title, Inside USF Bulls, $22 million Porter Indoor Performance Facility. But you can get the whole thing. But I do want to play a clip of one of my favorite people that I work alongside of, Barry Clements. He has been at USF throughout its history. Started off in 1983 so he drops in some nuggets and there's anybody that deserves to see something like this come to fruition it's Barry. When we started this and it was back in 2017 uh, I actually went out to Kansas City with our designer HOK and we looked at 16 different sites. Now I didn't share that with everybody because I didn't want to come back and have everybody picking different places to go so we quickly got it down to eight then to four but at one time we were looking at putting it right behind our building where our soccer soccer practice fields are but as it turned out by putting it here um, not only did it work out it, it, it's also is really enhanced the entire university because where you think you know this is just a big barn that we're putting up and it's going to be an eyesore it's turned out beautiful and the color scheme and just everything that we've done and the branding of it and all those type of things it's something that really really stands out that you can pretty much see from any one of our facilities so it's been a it's made a tremendous impact in recruiting uh, we've had camps that have already started this summer that have utilized this, but naturally the most important piece is for our student athletes. The actual field itself, we talked with Donovan who mentioned, hey, this is an awesome, super responsive field to play on. Um, you guys got this field done by Field Turf, classic HD product. Um, what have you heard some of the student athletes mention about playing on this field and how was it working with those guys at Field Turf? Well, first of all, they're, they're a phenomenal company and they're, I, I think they're the best in the business. Professional and first class from A to Z. And I think it's, uh, it's state of the art. It, it's an incredible field uh, that we have here. We had a temporary occupancy situation before we could get in here full time a week before the end of football season to get our kids in here to allow them to be able to practice a little bit and uh, when they walked on it I don't think they've ever experienced anything like that because it's a lot different than the turf that was here before uh, because it was not not only because it was outdoors but this is the newer state-of-the-art uh, and it just uh, feels like you're walking on the, on, the, on the moon so it's wonderful. Here's another benefit that I'm sure it wasn't built for but Instead of having to have the photo shoots and the video shoots for football in the Yingling Center, guess where they're going to have them? That's where I'll be later on this week, sitting down in and around their exploits from the video side. I will be picking up plenty of stuff for you here on the audio side, namely for Bulls Beat. Coming up next, plenty more international work by Bulls incoming, current, and former baseball news, golf news. Just stay tuned to Bulls Beat. This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. Next week, Nothing for Monday and Tuesday. Yes, I could put together a show from my vacation, but no, I am not going to be doing that. But plenty of stuff happening down the road. The only regret is actually the women's soccer photo shoot is going to be Thursday night, and that's kind of when I won't be able to be around. So we won't get those interviews for you, but we'll make them up to you. And now that I think about it, I just might ask kindly Joey Johnston, who course does work for us on the football broadcast sideline reports and does analyst work with Jim Lighthall and men's basketball broadcast 
he's going to be hanging around the interviews, and I might put him to some extra work. He is always so willing to do that kind of thing. Yeah, we'll all be on the air with football in about a month and a half, but before that, we will have soccer and volleyball in the month of August, and those exhibition soccer matches on the women's side begin early August, so we are almost into year seven of play-by-play on USF Bulls Unlimited. We love doing all the sports, and we love talking about all of them here on Bulls Beat. The women's basketball, as I mentioned, former and incoming and current players, well, a current and incoming member of the women's basketball team are both playing at the FIBA Under-19 Women's World Cup. This is the event taking place in Madrid. Does have the United States, which is expected to roll in this thing and has won its first two games in the group stage by an average of 36 points. But speaking of Madrid... Carla Brito, who was a full-time starter for the Bulls as a freshman, a member of the all-conference freshman team, naturally is 2-0 with Spain thus far, and she is getting plenty of playing time. As a starter, led them in minutes in the first game. Her shot wasn't falling. She was just 4 for 12, but 10 points, 7 rebounds, and a win against Australia by 15 points. Her shot was falling in a win against France, 7 for 11 from the floor, 16 points, as they defeated France 72-59, to they will wrap up their group play on Tuesday against Argentina. Now, everybody advances out of group play, but here's why it's important that Spain is 2-0. It has already won Group A. Why is that important? It's gotten wins over France and Australia. Argentina is 0-2, so even if Spain were to lose that one, they're still going to win the group because the winner of Group A is in the other half of the actual elimination bracket from the winner of Group B, which is going to be the United States. I think that was a pretty important win against France that Carla Brito, again, had a great game in. And on the other side of things, Italy with Vittoria Blasai, one of the incoming freshmen for Jose Fernandez's team. She's a starter, but they have struggled in their first two games, getting beat by Lithuania and Japan. They will wrap up their group play against Brazil, but hey, she's a starter on that team. She led them in minutes, averaging 36 minutes in the two games, trying to get the shot to fall. She apparently likes to shoot the threes, folks. One for eight against Japan, which by the way, set that event record by making 16 threes in that game, and then 12 in their next. And then Blasai, incoming bull, was two for 15 on threes against Lithuania. She is nine for 16 on twos, but hey, again, Another example of a recruit for the USF women's basketball program getting major, major minutes in the major event that is the World Under-19 Women's Championship. So we'll be following that progress along with you. Oh boy, Georgina Korik, what an amazing performance that she had, everything considered, at the group stage of the Women's World Cup. We told you about how she had shut out two top 10 in the world teams, both Australia and Chinese Taipei, but we also told you that had not clinched a spot in the Women's World Cup simply because they were probably going to have to beat one of those teams again, oh, or beat the United States, which is number one in the world. So that's kind of what played out, unfortunately, and in the end, Georgina Korik pitched 26 innings and only gave up runs in one of them, but that was fateful. First of all, they didn't actually finish the group stage because, shocker, in Ireland there was bad weather, and so because... Great Britain, again, Georgina Cork pitching for Great Britain. She has always represented GB because her mother was born over there. So they had no need, actually, to finish up group play. That was kind of convenient. 
with how things had taken place with Ireland and Botswana not winning and the USA and Great Britain not losing. Guess what? USA and Great Britain were going to end round robin as the one and the two, and Australia and Chinese Taipei were going to be the three and the four. So the format of this event, basically two countries advance guaranteed to the Women's World Cup. One versus two play, the winner advances. Whoever loses that game gets the winner of three versus four. Well, Great Britain held out Georgina Corrick smartly against the United States, kind of anticipating a possible defeat, and that's what ended up happening. So they got Australia, which had upset Chinese Taipei, and even though Corrick was able to get Australia the first time, they got her in exactly one inning. It was one nothing Great Britain going into the fifth, before Australia struck for a 4-1 to one victory. It was actually a bases-loaded hit-by-pitch and another bases-loaded hit-by-pitch that tied it and put Australia ahead and then an error as things kind of fell apart for Great Britain. She threw 147 pitches in that game, struck out 14. So unfortunately, it's kind of the story for Great Britain, heartbreak, but it's also worth noting how important Corrick has been to their even having a chance to compete at these huge national stages. They got to the last game of the Europe Olympic qualifier before losing to Italy. They settled for silver at the European Championships in 2022, and this is the World Cup. And even though there is a chance they could be selected as one of the wildcard teams, that is going to be a hard wait, and they'll have to wait for the other two groups to unfold, including this week in Spain, the group that includes... Puerto Rico, which, as we told you about last week, involves members of the Bulls team. So we'll keep you updated on how they do. And I probably should also mention that in between those notable wins against Australia and Chinese Taipei and the two losses that ended their run, the convenient run rule, five-inning, perfect game against the host Ireland. Baseball. Now, a lot of Bulls are playing in the summer leagues, but wanted to mention a pretty cool story all about Bobby Bozer, who has been playing for the Wareham Gateman. Probably saying that wrong, all those Cape Cod pronunciations, but he's been leading that league in walks, and that was something that, along with you know leading the Bulls in home runs last year, was just a very impressive thing to me about Bobby, how he became the leadoff man for the Bulls, was never really a consideration for a leadoff guy, but kind of got good at it. And the USF Baseball Twitter feed actually on Sunday retweeted an article all about Mr. Bozer, who is an all-star in the Cape Cod League. And definitely wanted to mention Jake Peacock. He is going to be a junior for the men's golf team. As a sophomore last year, transferred from Western Carolina and led the Bulls in scoring. Well, he wins the 102nd Georgia Amateur Championship. He's from Milton, Georgia. He shot in four rounds over the weekend at the Rivermont Golf Club, which is about an hour, I think, north of Atlanta. Two even pars to finish things off, but his last round was anything but even. He began putting himself in contention with a couple of 3-under-68s. And then on Saturday, kind of held firm with a 71. So he was one shot out of the lead. But on his front nine Sunday, after birdie on two, he would bogey five and six and double bogey seven. So he fell out of the lead. But how about four birdies in a span of five holes on the back nine and then holding firm with three pars to end it and win by one shot. Six under par, edging John Colbreth, who was five under, then it was a drop-off to three under. So excellent work there by Jake Peacock winning an amateur state title. Thanks for listening. I'm Derek Sharp.